Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Scripture passage for today is in the book of John. Um, it's on page 886 in your Pew Bible. Reading um, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word of the Lord. Let us ask the Lord to bless us as we consider his word. Lord, as we have seen our native tendency, our natural-born tendency to refuse your word, we come Recognizing that weakness, Lord, each of us, we pray that you would, for each of us, fix our hearts upon your word and enable us to understand it, but Lord, to to grasp it, to have affection for it, for it to find a place in our heart, as Paul tells us, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Lord, fulfill that, we pray. Make this word richly dwell within us to transform us more and more into your image. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Sometimes a a book or an extensive paper will have what they call uh, a precis. P-R-E-C-I-S. Then... It's one of those words that I would, you know, originally think, oh, that's a precis, uh, but it's a precy. Um, And it gives a capsule of the whole work. So you read that little paragraph and you know this is what this whole book is about or what this whole paper is about by reading the precy. It's a distillation of the book, the book in a nutshell. And that's what this opening, the opening 18 verses of John are for the whole book. Uh, practically everything that you'll hear in John, you'll find in some way uh, in this beautiful introduction that John gives us in verses 1 through 18. It's kind of like a dessert tray, uh, letting you know what you'll get if you dig into uh, this book. It's kind of an overture that has all of the themes and snatches of song that you'll hear in the whole musical. So it's kind of an appetizer and a sort of teaser. Uh, Beasley Murray writes, He prepares for the story by describing the Son of God in terms that rivet the attention of his readers and so encourages them to read the story for themselves. 
It's almost at the end of this 18 verses you're supposed to say, He what? He is who? And you just got to get into it because you're so amazed at these, um, these incredible statements that are given of this one that he describes as the Word. And so let's just trace through these first uh, five verses. Uh, you probably know, and it even reminds you, in the beginning is, is the same beginning of the whole Bible, right? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And John purposely makes us think of that beginning. Purposely uh, picture, uh, puts us back in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, but in Genesis, some have described it as he immediately descends into the creation to final the, finally the creation of man. Whereas in John, where Genesis looking this way toward creation, it's as though John looks this way at the same point says, how about we not look this way, but how about we get to that point of creation and look this way before creation? He wants us to think about Genesis and creation, but it's though he's saying before we talk about God creating the earth, let's talk about the God who created the earth. So instead of in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. It's as though he's saying there was already a story going on before the story of creation had its first chapter. Let's talk about that story. Let's talk about that history, so to speak. So it's as though in Genesis we go to the very back fence of creation's property. Okay, But in John, he says, let's look over the fence into this valley of eternity. And let's look at that broad, unlimited expanse where we can hardly even see. We can't see to the end of it. At the beginning, there was already one called the Word. That Word was in relationship to God. That's what I want you to know first off the bat. So, in describing the new creation, John goes before the beginning of creation to tell us about the new creation. This is how important, how glorious this story is. So he's recasting this Genesis account, filling in, you might say, some critical, essential detail about the Genesis account. It's like Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. This first sentence, if you know about Genesis, makes us stop in our tracks. So wait a minute, you're saying at the very time of creation, there was already an existing relationship between this one you are calling the Word and God? It's interesting, I was, uh, we spent some time with friends uh, over Thanksgiving, and one of the people we spent time with told me that recently he had heard Tim Keller speak on this topic in New York City at the PCA church. And he's, and, and he's been in the church for 20 or 30 years. He said, I'd never thought about the fact that the Father and the Son had a relationship before the world began. And so this could be news to some of you that there is this everlasting relationship of God the Father and God the Son. And so Ritterboss says the words in the beginning in John have a broader meaning than they do in Genesis 1, and they refer to something behind Genesis, so to speak. And I, I, would, I would call it the always-had-been relationship. Okay? That's the implication of in the beginning it was. 
It already was. It was the always had been relationship. And there was no beginning for that one. It just always was. And this word, when it says the word was with God, it's a very intense word. There's a Greek word meta and there's a Greek word para that uh, mean with. But this word tends to historically have the idea of movement. Although it was now uh, bearing the meaning of, of being with, but it's an intense uh, relationship that's been spoken of here. Uh, it means to or toward or in the presence of. And here, in a sense, face-to-face with God. So, in the beginning, there was this intimate relationship that the Word had with God. And so, Jesus refers to this in John 17. Glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So this is a theme in John. This one existed before the creation of the world. He prays and speaks of that glory that he had before the world existed. He was with God and he shared the glory of God. In that same chapter 17 in his prayer, he says, You loved me before the foundation of the world. And years ago I heard R.C. Sproul said, Before the creation, it was still true that God is love. And I'd never thought about it till then. Yeah, that's right. God is love was true before any of us was, any of us existed, because there was this eternal relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you've heard me describe it before, maybe some of you hadn't, but if you think of a a party in which you spent several hours laughing and talking and eating and just having so much fun, your face hurt at the end of the night. You've had those times where you just... I smile so much I can't do it anymore. My face is just hurting. And you remember it for months after that. If you want to enlarge that, multiply it a thousand times, that's something of the picture of the eternal felicity, the eternal joy that has been in relationship. This eternal family. That's why relationship is so important to us. That's why it's so devastating when we don't have it. Because we're made in the image of this God who always was, always will be, relationship. So the Word was with God. And this is a preview, you see, of coming attractions in John. It makes us sit on the edge of our seats. This one was already with God. What are you talking about? Who is this pre-existing Word? And it gives a backdrop to Jesus' many statements about being sent by the Father in John. In the uh, other Gospels, uh, Jesus, is men- Jesus mentions being sent three times in Matthew, two times in Mark, five times in Luke. That's a total of ten times. But most of these are just two sayings described by all three writers. In John, Jesus refers to being sent almost 40 times. This is a gospel of being sent. Well, where does it begin? It begins here. He was with God. I had glory with you before the foundation of the world. You loved me before the world was. The word was with God and he was sent. I'm the sent one. I was with God and I am now the sent one. So being with God and being sent by God, they go together in John. That's why Jesus can say in John 6, 46, that not anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Echo, he was with God. 
John 8, 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do not, uh, you do what you've heard from your father, speaking of their father, the devil. Echo of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. In John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? But of course, John continues to blow my mind by saying not only was the Word with God, then the Word was God. The Word was God. You could summarize, as one has, that the Word is God and the fellow of God. He is God and He is the fellow of God. And for a Jew to write this is simply amazing. A Jew committed to strict monotheism. There is one God, only one God. This is a staggering affirmation as he holds tenaciously to his monotheism. And he says, there is one God, but there is, this one is God and he is with God. He has a relationship with God. And at that point, you know, you'd be okay to be scratching your head and say, what is he talking about? What is this? Who is this God? Who is this word? And that's the point of his repeating it. He summarizes it again. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. So altogether it reads, this one I said was with God. Well, he's also God. And this one who I've just said is God, he's also with God. So it's just to underscore, do you get what I'm saying? He was with God and he is God. He's God and the fellow of God. And of course, having described him in this way, he immediately presses into his being the creator. And lest lest we have any doubt of who he is, he says, I'm talking about the very one who created the world. The very one who said in Genesis 1, we're still thinking of Genesis 1, see, where it says, God said, let there be light. It says, this is the God that said it. Understand, this is the God who said that. I'm talking about Him, the Word. He says, all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, it doesn't mean, it could take it to mean this, that God the Father couldn't make the world unless God the Son helped Him. Some people talk about uh, Jesus or or, or the Son of God, uh, Jesus Christ, not being held up to be God. Well, this passage is saying everything was made by Him. It doesn't really say it was made by the Father. It says it was made by Him. But, of course, what he's saying is they acted in concert. In His making the world, the Father was making the world. The Word acted on behalf of God. The Word was the direct agent who accomplished the Father's purpose. And so these two persons that are both God, who share the same infinite knowledge, they share the same wisdom, they share the same goodness, they share the same power. And this God the Son, the Word, acted and created the world with the power that only God could have. And he stresses that he made every single particle of this universe... Without him, nothing was made that was made. He didn't have a minor role. 
He made a few things. Everything you see, everything you hear, touch, smell, and taste, it was made by the Word Himself. Everything you can't see, anything that is beyond our sight, the spiritual world, He made the world of angels as well. Everything. And so, omnipotence is set right forward. He is God and He is the all-powerful God. As a creator, He acted upon a world that was uh, unordered. We're told it was formless. It was empty of life. It was void and it was dark. Without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And this mighty one brought order and filled it with life. And He filled it with light. So that idea that He filled it with life and light... Bring him to verse 4. In him was life. See, it's, He's still thinking in terms of Genesis. This one who acted upon the world, who created all things. Obviously, he is the fountain, the source of all life. In him was life. He has the ultimate unlimited power of life. Leon Morris says, only because there was life in the Word is there life in anything on earth at all. Nothing exists by itself, either animate or inanimate. Nothing exists by itself and of itself. In Him is all of life. And the idea here is not only that He created, but He sustains everything. And we read that explicitly in Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, when Paul is speaking about this same thing. He is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, similar language as he speaks of God revealing himself throughout history and finally in his son, he says, speaks of, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now this is an amazing thing because He's going to come finally to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. The Creator of the world became flesh. And later we will find the Creator of the world hung on a cross. The same one who created the world is the one who hung on the cross. He is not two people. He is the one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, man, who bore our sins. So life here must, first of all, make us think of regular life on earth because it comes right after he makes all things in verse 3. But in John, life always carries a spiritual meaning. It always refers to life that we have through Jesus Christ, new spiritual life through the bread of life and the water of life, Jesus Christ. And so there, he, he uses this idea of his being the creator and giving life to all things to immediately make us think about uh, or plan to talk about the new life that we will have 
in Christ and can have in Christ. But you see, the one is so important to realize the one that gives life to all things. Unlimited power. Everywhere you look, plant an animal or look at just the, the making of stars, this effusion of power and life from this one. He's the one who gives us spiritual life. His unlimited capacity to take me from deadness, to bring me into life, to take me from darkness and to bring me into light. And so we're to think always of our Savior as the omnipotent Savior, the Creator Savior. God is our Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. This one can give you that abundant life and nothing can stop him from giving you that abundant life. Nothing can stand in His way. Nothing is greater than Him. He will indeed give all of those who trust Him abundant life. He is the resurrection and the life, as He declares. He is the Lord of life. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And so His his power in creation gives us hope of His power in the new creation. And He says the life was the light of of men. The life was the light of men. This is so closely associated in the creation that he brought life and the whole world is teeming with life. But then the very first words are, let there be light. And so in the New Testament, uh, the darkness that he mentions in verse 5 is the darkness of sin. It's the darkness of the dominion of the evil one of which we read in Genesis chapter 3. And so he comes to rescue us and to shine into that darkness. But this same one who is life is also light. As Psalm 36, 9 says, With you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So he is not only the one that transforms us and gives us life, but he gives us new knowledge. He changes our perspective. He allows us to be able to see things rightly through his light. And light speaks of hope. It speaks of truth. It speaks of faithfulness. It speaks of a foundation upon which we can base our lives. And so life and light are kind of a summary of the whole of salvation that emanates from this very one who created the world. And so he speaks of himself as the light of the world in chapter 12, verse 46. And he says, the man who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Chapter 8, verse 12. And so you'll see him giving life to Lazarus and you see him giving uh, the blind men the ability to see. Both of those are pictures for you and me of what he does for us. I can see a right through Jesus Christ. I can have new strength and vigor and energy and life to live for Him because He is the source of all life. How glorious that He in every way is a Savior for us and whatever our need is. Then it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Barrett points out that the light must shine in the darkness or it will cease being the light. It always shines into the darkness. It always is shining 
It's a, it's a present tense. It is shining into the darkness. He is reaching out into the darkness. He is removing the darkness. He is attacking the darkness and invading the darkness. And this will be finally accomplished completely and the darkness will be removed from this world. And it's, it's been difficult for people uh, in the last part of the verse to decide between the darkness has not, uh, has not perceived it or has not accepted it. The darkness has, uh, or on the other side to say, the darkness has not overcome it. Um, and perhaps it, he could refer to both meanings, knowing both meanings of the word, to say that the darkness has not understood it, and that would tie in with verse uh, 10. He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. So this may be a statement to say, and the darkness did not understand it. But he may say, it didn't understand it, but it didn't quench it either. Didn't overcome it. So many rejected the light, but the light continued to shine. It does not overcome it. It does not quench the light. It does not snuff out the light. The light continues to shine in the darkness. And so you'll see in this gospel that many rejected the light. And there's a struggle as to whether people will believe or not. But obviously John holds forth at the end of the book says, I've written these things that you may believe that he is the son of God. So the question would be for you and me, this light shines in the darkness. Will you believe? Will you enjoy this life and light of this one? And so just to close with a few applications for us as we consider this this, uh, word, it's interesting that the Gospels begin, the other Gospels, with the ministry of Christ or at best the birth of Christ. And even in Mark, it says, in the beginning of the gospel. And it may mean that John is even there pointing us way back and and even referring to Mark and saying, I'm not just going to the beginning of the gospel, but the beginning of the world so that you'll know who this one was that came into the world. And the first point that I would want to make just to encourage you, and I've already touched on it some, can he give you new life? Can He change your life? Can He make appear in you an energy to serve Him that you never had before? See, that's the point of of a new life. It's a new capacity to submit yourself to His will. It's a new capacity to turn from all of your former desires. It's a new capacity to recognize sin and really to begin to hate sin for sin that you used to love and embrace, for it to make you sick and you to turn from it because you do not want to please, displease your God. A new ability to turn from sin and entrust yourself to Him. Can He give you a love for people that you never had before? Can He give you a love for worship? Can He give you a love for prayer? Can He give you a desire to give yourself away to the afflicted? Well, in all of these things, we come to Him and say, Lord, Lord of life, Lord who made all things in the world, you, in you is life, Lord, I entrust myself to you. Give me that life. 
And that's why all through John, like in John chapter 6, he speaks of himself as being the bread of life. And he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Through my death and resurrection, if we get the full uh, opening of the book of John, there is life to be had for anyone who will entrust themselves to me. You know how many times we've quoted uh, John 7 where he says, He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's speaking of the new life that will be in you through the Holy Spirit that he gives. But John is is encouraging you, don't turn from this one who alone can give you the new creation, bring you into the new creation. And the life that he gives you personally, he gives us corporately. The other day we were talking about one of our elders is on a, a committee that is dealing with some struggles one of our other churches in, in the Presbytery is having right now. Huge struggles, terrible struggle. And we felt so humbled, so thankful that there is such peace in our church. We're not perfect people, but there is such peace. And at the same time, we said to each other, pray that God will keep us that way. It's only a miracle Do you realize it's only a miracle that any church has one day of peace? And that's his life that he gives us. Life to bear with one another. Life to be patient with one another. Life to forgive each other. Life to care for one another. And so, be encouraged to come to him for this life. This one who was in the beginning with God. All things are made through him. And notice his authority later, though we'll talk about this more closely, in verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Talk about authority. And that's the word he uses. He gives them the authority to become the children of God. There's nothing in them that warranted it. There's no inerrant ability or worthiness. He gives them this new status, this new authorization. He desires to give it. He gives it. No one can take it away. It's for anyone who receives. He says, to all who receive him, who entrust themselves to his name, this one who gives life, he makes us the children of God. And so for the helpless, the lost, the needy, the sinner, he gives us by royal authority the right to become children of God. And I urge you that there is no other way for you as a human being to be a child of God except that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone will make you a child of God. We read in Genesis 3 what we did with our original relationship with God. We turned our back on Him. We said, I don't want to be your child anymore. I don't want to submit to your authority. I'm going to strike out on my own. All of us in that sense are the prodigal son that left the household. Human power and creative ability can't produce this birth, as it says. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
But it's interesting. He's the one. He's the one that gave them this authority. And it says they were born of God. No human action can make it happen. He is the life. And the same sovereign act and power that's mentioned in verses 3 and following is the power that gives you this life. And so there's no reason why you can't have this life. There's no reason why you can't have this birth, why you can't taste of the living waters. Because the mighty God who made the world says, come and receive it. That's the message of John. This word was God. This word was with God. And only one more point. This passage then calls for high and honorable thoughts of our Lord in his radical humility. He hangs on a cross, despised and forsaken, weak and wounded, but he is the word that created the world, the word who dwells forever with the Father. And it's the juxtaposition of that to to think, this is my creator who suffers for me. The majesty of that, the glory of it. It's not, in one sense you could say, his glory is hidden on the cross. But in another sense you have to say, his glory burst forth on the cross. Who is this so weak and helpless child of lowly Hebrew maid? Rudely in a stable sheltered, coldly in a manger laid. Tis the Lord of all creation who this wondrous path has trod. He is God from everlasting and to everlasting God. How can it be that the baby is the same person? It's now the God-man. He's, he's human and he's God. But that baby is the same person who made the world. There's the mystery of the incarnation. And so when others ridicule him, we mustn't be ashamed of him because he is our creator, he is their creator, he is our judge, he is their judge. The one on the cross that they may mock and laugh at is their judge. Another hymn reads this way. Every eye shall now behold him at his second coming, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who set at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. Every island, sea and mountain, heaven and earth shall flee away. All who hate him must confounded hear the trump proclaim the day. Come to judgment, come to judgment, come to judgment, come away. This isn't a Christ to be pitied. Pity yourself if you don't worship Him and bow down to Him. He is Almighty God. Give Him the honor. Do His name. I love Psalm 2 that says, Worship the Lord with reverence, awe, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. And the more we honor him when we see his majesty on the cross, it's interesting when John 12, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, he doesn't say crucified, killed, humiliated, despised, denigrated, defamed, scandalized, looking through all the suffering and the hatred and the mistreatment and the ridicule and the mocking and the beatings and the whippings and the agonizing crucifixion. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Now is the time for the heart-stopping majesty of God to break forth as never before in the history of the world in the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of God. And so, dear friends, when God goes to this extent to save you, this extent to say, here is life, there will be forgiveness, there will be new life for you, a transformation, entrust yourself to my Son. He has borne the punishment for sin for anyone who will trust Him. He has set them free from sin and anyone who entrusts Him. He will work all things together for good, for your salvation, for anyone who trusts Him. It's frightening, as I've said before, those words in Revelation where it says that they were crying out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the one that sat on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That phrase to me is a frightening phrase, the wrath of the Lamb. If you turn away from the Lamb, if you refuse this one, then how sad, how horrible that He would be the one, He who bore wrath for anyone who would trust in Him, now must pour out His wrath upon those who refuse to trust Him. That's the only tragedy. Tragedy is not that you would die early. Tragedy is not that you would have some sickness, not that you'd have financial... The only real tragedy is that this one would die for any who would come to Him and that you would refuse Him. Let us pray. O Lord, draw us to Yourself. Draw us to Yourself, Lord Jesus. Enable us to trust You. Take away our unbelief. Shine in our hearts Your beauty and Your glory. Draw us to Yourself, O You who are the Word of God. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace The wonders of